right. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. I know it's been a long time, but we are in a long time. Season two finale. We know it's been a while, but as you know, it's been a lot going on in society and then happening on higher education and COVID. It's just been a lot. Uh, so we are doing this episode to kind of wrap up season two um, and then we'll be back for season three um, when we be back <laughs> right uh, but season yeah. finale we're here uh, this is Dr. K tuning in from North Kakalaki <laughs> my beautiful co-host I let them shop themselves up and here <laughs> in the lovely state of Illinois <laughs> Dr. V in the wonderful place of Kansas. <laughs> I think it's really dope that we're all in different places, right? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I and, do too. And I'm still, um, and a shout out to Jasmine, our other co-host, uh, who's out in Missouri. Uh, shout out to her. Much love, respect. Um, and I'm going to say it again. We have never all physically been in the same place. Together. Never one day. And what is we've been doing this for? What it's been a year. It's, it's been, been over a year. No, it's been like two years, right? Almost two years. Yeah, two years next month, November. Yes, yes, yes. Look at us. And yesterday, uh, September thirtieth was International Podcast Day. It was. I saw your Happy post anniversary. We don't own these rights. We don't own these rights. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tonight, because uh, it's nighttime when we're recording, right? Uh, so let's just be mm. transparent in that. Um, we want to kick this off with um, some heavy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's talk about you know, the Breonna Taylor uh, verdict um, and it, its impact. Um, first and foremost, the length of time that it took to come, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And then I remember seeing that um, in Louisville, they had already set up, you know, uh, curfews prior to the verdict coming. And my mom, that told me, well, they already know what the verdict is. Oh, yeah. And then we get the verdict. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Were we Were you surprised, though? Yeah. Were we expecting what? anything different? I wasn't yeah. told. We've been told before Black lives don't matter. Right. But it's not, just, it's not even just Black lives. I think we have to put this also in a very intersectional frame. Right. It is a, this was a black woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we, 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 for me, it's like, even with all the backstory and everything else, I, I you know, it's a constant reminder that somebody's trying to tell us, tell black people, black women, that there's nowhere you can go to be safe, mm. that you can't run, you can't walk, you can't wear a certain thing, nor can mm-hmm. you just lay, 
you can't even be in your home. Right. What is that? And and the fact that the 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 individual that got <clears throat> charged, you got charged for bullets that didn't even go into her body. Mm-mm. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Or her house. No. That's what it means to be a a black woman. Yeah. That your life is not valued. Mm-hmm. That. I think we I think we knew that it was probably going to be rare in terms of them really charging anything. But yet another reminder that black women's lives don't aren't aren't mattering. You know, it's it makes me think of a quote. I don't know if anybody's reading or watching Lovecraft, which that's a whole nother conversation. Oh, it's the bomb. (laughs) It's the bomb. And so much comes out of that. But one of the characters. Um, kind of makes this conversation about all the times that black women are interrupted and um, you can't like different than white women you know you you can't you can't ride on a train with your friends you can't you can't go traveling you can't do that that's too much mm-hmm. you can't drive mm-hmm. down the street without possibility of getting stopped right you know exactly. and, and and when someone does find you we don't know what happened Sandra Bland you can't lay in your bed. You can't relax with your family. And the other countless stories of other Black women when we don't know their story. Yeah. And and to hear that verdict and to know that verdict, but yet still having to show up to work in white spaces and still having to function like you didn't have yet another reminder in spaces that are also sometimes toxic to your soul, mm-hmm. yet another reminder that you don't matter, that we don't matter. And, and you know, I'm at a HBCU, so my space doesn't look like the spaces that you all are in right now. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I'm always, you know, thinking about the experiences that we're facing as as black women in higher ed and but at different institutions. Um, so we're experiencing the same thing in terms of what's going on, you know, but in the context of our work, it's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, I'm always curious and always um, in tune to the conversation of with my black sisters at white institutions. Uh, and having this type of conversation of what it looks like for both of us to have watched that verdict. And the next day I go to my HBCU where people look like me in my space and you go to an institution where no one around you for the most part looks like you. The conversations are different that we, that we have in those spaces. Mm-hmm. But in the same breath, I can't say that you need to leave the predominantly white institution and work at an HBCU. I can't guarantee that that's going to make the space better for you, right? Uh, But these are the conversations I believe we need to have more of at our levels to help us develop the students on our campuses so that they can begin to have 
um, these conversations, which may lead to whatever action that they deem necessary. Um, because I don't know if our students know what to do next. And as a professional, I don't know what to do next as it relates to racial injustice. So how can I sit down and tell a student what to do? And I, have, I think the other question is, is how do we stop the numbing? Right. Because, you know, I was, you know, in a conversation and that was the, that was the next, you know, statement that some of the, some of the other black professionals that I work with had said, it was kind of like, well, it's just kind of this numbing. We knew it was going to come. So we're just numb to the end. We're just numb to that and not being able to have like a moment to collapse and take a breath. Right. Because society will not allow us to stop and collapse and to take a breath. But then how do you stop the numbing? Mm. That's, I mean, so I teach a class. I, well, first of all, I, I will say that I think that I need to exist at, at a PWI, mm -hmm. right? Because I need for Black students who go to PWIs to see right. black people and, <laughs> and to have spaces where they feel welcomed and supported. And, and, and yeah, I, so in my class the other day, the students were talking about how they felt and there is, there is a sadness amongst people, you know, there's a sadness amongst um, students and, and young people who are grappling with these complex issues that, that they never really had to grapple with that we know of, and especially mm -hmm. not so, so uh, front and center. One of the things that we talked about actually was, you know, back in the Jim Crow era, you know, they would broadcast lynchings because they wanted you to see what can happen. Well, what we see on Instagram and Facebook and all of these sites where we are seeing people get murdered or the, 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 those who are getting murdered, their bodies left in the street uncovered, that is, the, that is equivalent to modern day. Mm -hmm. right. Showing people death to scare them into submission, to say that this is how you should behave. And... You know, I, you know, this generation is, I, I, I can't say that I'm saddened for them. I'm saying that we have failed them in K through 12 education, especially, mm -hmm. and in our homes, educating them, right? So that this would not be trauma, as traumatizing. It's still going to be traumatizing because I don't care what nobody say. Watching people get murdered and then nobody being held accountable after we spend all this time trying to teach accountability and, and instill this into our children. And then they are watching people. And here's the thing. I know police officers who are very good police officers. And there are those who are terrible at it. Right. And I, I can't say I heard it any better than when I heard that young lady say, you know, people are saying blue lives matter, but blue is the color of your uniform. It is not who you are. That is your job to be a public servant. That is your job. That is not who you are. And so when we say black lives matter and we use that terminology, 
right? We're not talking about something that somebody can take off. Right. Mm-hmm. We, we are going to be black every time we go out this house, no matter what career we choose to be in. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to choose to be an officer. But what I see is I see us using this. And I hear these conversations. Y'all, y'all hear Buffy. She out there going all the way ham. Buffy is my dog, guys. And I yeah. love her. And she is my therapy dog. She doesn't even know it, but she is. Right. You know, That's because this, this is, it's, it's, it's messed up. Mm-hmm. It's messed up that I, that, that I have these conversations with young women who don't feel seen. Yeah, they don't feel valued and I can't really give them a whole bunch because there have been times and I feel them well I don't feel valued and I don't and I feel you know these same ways so I give them what I have right yeah you know I I'm, I'm thankful that you know I work at an institution that I feel like is really trying to move that needle, you know, and really having these hard and tough conversations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm at, I'm at a place where I'm seen and valued, but um, I think it just makes me think of times when I wasn't Hmm. in years to where if I showed a crack in how I'm feeling or at least be, 5% 5% transparent, it would have been met with, uh, you need time away because you're, you're, you're distracting from the students. Like, what does that mean? You know, when you can't demonstrate that? Yes, I understand there's this resilience, but um, are we, you know, what, are we teaching people not to, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we can only see so much of this live death, these live executions um, without, it's, it's going to have an impact. Right. And can I say resilience is a word that we use for black people sometimes to cover up, you know, when somebody does something wrong, that we need to get over it to show that we are resilient. Hmm. that's not resilience that's not the definition of resilience is that we can do whatever we want to do and then you all have to live through it right and and you're resilient but that resilience is a tool of the oppressor it is and i there's a there's a a woman who used to work at uh, my university named carrie carrie williams and and i heard her say Oh, I did say her name, didn't I? That's all right. She she probably hit us. Um, he said instead of resilience, she said resilience. Ah, oh, yeah, oh. yeah. My God. Mm. And I was like, "Ooh, that's good." I have to cite a sister on that one, right? Because when she said yeah. that, it changed the framing of the word word resilience. Because people have always called me resilient. Right. Because if you make it through certain things in your life, you're resilient. Mm -hmm. But what we don't talk about is how we, especially black women, how we tell them that they need to be silent and their (laughs) silence is tied to their resilience. And we also don't talk about the system that makes them resilient. Yes. We just say that you just have to be instead of 
saying, let's dismantle the very thing that's having to bring that out in you. It's exhausting. It is, it is exhausting to live in a society in a space as a black woman and the world can see that we don't matter as a whole, but in the same breath amongst each others, telling each other, how do we love ourselves? Mm-hmm. It's exhausting mm-hmm. to, to love on yourself just to step out into the world and know that you're not valued. So it's kind of like, so what's the point of me having all this energy pouring into myself to love myself so I can step out into this world and just be all that I can be just to be told, be quiet. You don't matter right now. We won't speak Mm -hmm. your name. Mm -hmm. I imagine that is the thought of many of our black sisters. And it's exhausting. I have to say, one of the things that undergirds and keeps me grounded is faith, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because if I believe what God says, and he says that I should be in this world, but not of this world, then that mm-hmm. does mean that I have to rise above some of this foolishness. Right. You know, I have to, you know, be excellent in my pursuit of those things, mm-hmm. you know, that bring me closer to him and really try to get out of falling prey and and because i'm not a victim i will i refuse to be a victim right but i and i and i refuse to raise victims and educate victims Mm. you know i want us to take these lessons and use them right and so all of this you know with brianna taylor i I, my thing is this if you don't know why you should vote Mm. then you go right there Mm-hmm. right we should be encouraging people to say listen now let's take this and let's use it as a government lesson mm-hmm. right who mm-hmm. appoints this person there how do you go. get that person out of office like we use this to create strategies right right so that we don't have to be here again right because despair works against us it does Mm-hmm. It does. And you know what else? How we have not educated people. And so they don't know history. And so, of course, history is doomed to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. And so now, and I, I'm shouting out Girl Trek. So if y'all don't do Girl Trek or don't listen, I listen. They just started today. Girl Trek started a 21 day. Um, today, this, this uh, boot camp is all about those spiritual underpinnings mm. that hold us as a call as has hold us held us as a people now the last boot camp was 21 days of acts of resistance mm-hmm. it was a bomb it's it's a bomb and and i think we need to take a lot of this history and use it to to perfect strategy yeah mm-hmm. because yeah i believe i i absolutely believe that that we're in a in a space where People, hate is rampant. Mm-hmm. Every phobia that you can think of is rampant. And um, 
You know, I truly believe in a lot of ways that this hate that I see, especially exhibited toward Black people, um, I see it toward all Black people, but the hate toward Black women is different. It's yeah. like we are the givers and bringers of life. Mm. Mm. And mm. to hate us is mm. to hate the very existence of a Black child. And, and I have said this, and I'll say it again, that Black love is revolutionary. And when Black women bring Black babies into the earth, that is also an act of resistance. Raising that, adult, mm. that baby to adulthood is an act of resistance. Mm. Mm-hmm. My black is beautiful, right? Listen. And my black is powerful. Mm. It is. And my black is vulnerable. And my black is visible. Mm-hmm. So. And my black matters. Yeah. And my black matters. My black matters. Mm-hmm. That you needs know, to be a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> We're giving the shirt ideas. Right. <laughs> Listen, um, when we started season two, uh, we started off in a conversation um, around vulnerability. And it has been kind of the undertone of every uh, episode that we've had in season two and what it means for Black women to be vulnerable. And um, I want to kind of bring it full circle, touch back on that, especially in times of right now. And does that vulnerability look different? Um, Are we more cautious now to be less vulnerable or more vulnerable, right? Um, And then how do we as Black women, Black adult women, um, give space for other Black women to come together to be vulnerable? Mm. What does all that look like? Mm Uh, you know, and I was very vocal in the beginning. Vulnerability wasn't my thing. <laughs> uh, but I'm on a journey of vulnerability and boundaries right now. And so it has been very eye-opening. Uh, it's been tough because I'm stubborn, very stubborn. So it's been really tough. But I'm thankful that I have a close friend on the journey uh, with me or alongside me to kind of, you know, guide me. But it's tough. Yeah. The whole idea of vulnerability. I think it's important to create spaces to where the vulnerability will not be used against you as a tool and a weapon. Mm. Um, because even in moments such as these to say, um, I'm not, you know, to, to hear the verdict or to see, you know, the, the, the killing, you know, that happened with, um, George Floyd and to be able to say, listen, I'm not good right now. Right. I'm, you know, transparent, like I need to be transparent enough to say that I'm not okay. And to feel, and to feel that that will not be used against you as a weapon against you being incompetent. Oh, well you, you have to do this job, you know? So I think we, um, it's important for us to work because um, black people are always trying to work to create spaces for everybody else, right? But Ooh. who's creating spaces for us? Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for us to always to, if we can carve out space for us to be vulnerable and safe, but then while doing it, making sure that we can create that space for somebody else, but also seeking and demanding that our institutions do that, mm-hmm. even though systemically they were not created to do that. Right. 
but maybe that's where the demand comes from. Yeah. That this justice work that is bigger than you all statements in terms of supporting diversity and inclusion is bigger than that. Don't get me started. I literally had a conversation around that today in terms of, you know, thinking about predominantly white institutions, you know, you having more positions focused on DEI work and mm-hmm. you're trying to hire more people of color, more black individuals. Cause let me be clear. There's a difference to me in students of color and black students and um, faculty and staff of color and faculty and staff that are black. And so hiring more black folks to work at your institutions, yet you have not changed policies and procedures to make us feel safe and valued. You have not shifted or thought about your culture enough to understand what does our culture look like for a black body to be here working? Mm-hmm. Who's having those conversations? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, our young black professionals aren't always thinking like that. And so they see these positions and they go in hungry. And they allow us to come to the table hungry and allow us to eat this food that is not nourishing to our bodies. Mm. And they become exhausted and tired and worn out within a year's time. And then they make decisions to leave the field or think that they are not enough. Who's having those conversations? Or they get in and become the very thing that we're critiquing, that right. become the very, the very thing that we say in terms that, that the system that is toxic and all of that. I, I had a conversation with somebody today about, and there's an article about sometimes how, like when we look at the patriarchy, understanding that there's a conversation of, that can be an unofficial male and an unofficial, like you don't have to, like we can, there are, there are then literally the conversation of Zora Neale Hurston, that not all your kinfolk are your skinfolk, mm-hmm. that people can get in these positions and forget these very conversations. Right. And in order to go along with the system and with the tide of the system and with the wave of the system, they don't bucket. They become a part of that very system. Therefore mm-hmm. doing the very damage that we are talking about now. Right. They forget what it's like. Mhm. Mhm. It's oh man, this is and it's the same conversation we've been having for years and years and years. That's the interesting space, you mm-hmm. know, that we continue to have these same conversations. Um and it's the question of what do we do? Are we supposed to do anything? What's what's really my responsibility uh as a black woman in higher education, right? Uh, when these topics come up, what's really my responsibility? How much more can I educate my white counterparts or uh, my black uh, colleagues, um, my black students? What what more am I supposed to do? Uh, and even if we get into these uh, positions of leadership, there's another game that we have to play that's political, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you got to think about uh, the stakeholders of the institutions. Yeah. So you got to play to their games. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I it, had a conversation with someone the other day about, you know, not wanting to play the game versus playing the game. And I was like, you can't be in this without playing some sort of game. Come on. Some game. It, it's naive to think that we can get in these positions and there will be no game being played. If not, you will be run over in the very game that we talk about. 
So I think the conversation of is how do you play? Is, is can we be just and can we be can can we be the very thing? Um, how do, how do we not be the very thing that we talk about in the effort to play the game? Right. Um, that you know how how can we still be socially just? How can we still have these these uh, sentiments and movements that are supporting justice and righteousness and, you know, making sure that we're standing in the gap for people, all of these wonderful things that really, if you think about it, are subjective. Yeah. How, how do we do it? Is it, is it having a form of, of, of checks and balances around you? Is it having people who can check you and call and speak truth to power? What is that? And then how do you make sure that you always have that? That leads me to think about this concept of for black women in higher ed. When is enough enough? And what does that look like? What happens when enough is enough? That's scary to me. Cause I don't know the answer to it and neither do I want to know the answer to it. And what does that mean when we've gotten there? Right. It, I think about this journey in um, higher ed. I never thought in a million years I'd be working in higher ed doing the work that I'm doing. Um, and I almost think sometimes if I would have chose the the field that I originally went to college for, would I be dealing with all of this? Especially in this context, you know? Yeah. And the question of, is it worth it? But every time I talk to a student, it reminds me that it's worth it. There it goes. It is. And I think it's those moments, those moments of somebody saying, if you weren't here, I wouldn't have been. If you, if I didn't see you, I didn't know, if I didn't see you, I wouldn't have known that it could be possible. Right. I had my students last semester, I said, raise your hand if I'm your first black professor. This is in graduate school. All my class raised their hand. Wow. So what does that mean when you've not seen anybody? And also, let's think about, let's flip that. What does it also mean to be the first in these spaces where they're not conditioned to even think that you could and should be there? Right. What does that mean in terms of how they see you and your work? as valid how does that show up in evaluations that students fill out that many folks have already said that are biased yeah what does that look like and i'm thinking you know in, in talking about you know being first black professor i'm teaching adjunct um institutional effectiveness at a, at a predominantly white institution 14 students, all white identified. Institutional effectiveness. This black woman that mm -hmm. works full time at an HBCU mm -hmm. is teaching 14 white identified students about institutional effectiveness. To think that I'm not going to bring up uh, equity minded assessment and practices. <laughs> will be a mistake because I do. Mm -hmm. And when I have the opportunity to bring in guest lectures, they are black. Um, 
because it's important. Yep. And I thought about it, you know, some time ago um, when semester kind of kicked off, how would that show up? Then I thought it's going to show up the way I wanted to show up, right? Because Mm -hmm. institutional effectiveness is about the effectiveness of every part of the institution, Mm -hmm. including the people, including the people. Um, So I'm thankful that I'm in a space where my students uh, uh, have a liking to me and and how I teach. So um, that's a blessing in itself and that they're learning. Uh, But I think about that in terms of, you know, the academic side of the house and how, you know, some people have never had a black professor. Mm -hmm. Never. No. And you're, you're, and oftentimes you show up and you are countering every message that they've heard about people who look like you, about black women, mm-hmm. you know, and not to mention, you know, that there's just this intersectional piece to it as well. And it shows up. I mean, and don't, to your point, don't have a critical spin. Don't have one that you're going to talk about diversity. Don't, don't do that. Then, then it could be a whole, like, there's so much research out there that talks about when Black women come into these spaces of HWIs, PWIs, and and put in, you know, have these lessons about race and, you know, intersections and diversity and inclusion and all of that. And just these, you know, just the resistance that they get and receive from that. Yeah. And how do you work through that? Um, I had some conversations with uh, some students uh, earlier this week, some one-on-one conversations, and um, black black women, black young women. Um, and one was a senior. One is a senior. And after the conversation, it was about an hour conversation, and she sent me a follow-up email, basically, you know, saying thank you. And that, you know, this was kind of God sent. And you don't know how much you need that (laughs) Uh, when you just so consistently going through the motion to have a young black soul, a senior, have a conversation with me. We had never met prior to outside of me doing a workshop. And in the conversation, talking about this idea of spirituality and God and how we were meant to have this conversation. Mm. That, for me, is the worth it moment. Mm -hmm. If I can hold on enough to have that moment every so often, I think I'd be okay. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's the... That literally is the why of holding on to that and remembering that folks need us to survive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny, listen to the song, I need you to survive. We need, need <laughs> us to survive. We need us. We need each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I value this space that we have with each other, this group that we have. But I also recognize and I appreciate the space that we have created through this podcast. Right. 
you know, in the conversations, you know, going back to the conferences that we've been to and, and young black professionals and ones who were in, you know, master's programs and doc programs saying this was what we needed. This was what I needed. Yeah. You know, like it's the legacy. I think about, um, I had a colleague when I first graduated graduate school, she said, you know, it's really important for you to always try to make the place better than you found it. Right. She yeah. said, even if she said, that's kind of how, you know, if you've kind of made your mark, have you left a legacy? Have you made your mark? Have, is it better from having you there? Mm-hmm. And can it live on once you've gone? Mm. Mm. Yeah. If you're going to, I always say, if you're going to leave a legacy, you got to live it, mm. and then you got to leave it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Live it and leave it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's powerful. That makes me think of that Beyonce song. <laughs> you were here. That was my dissertation song. <laughs> oh, Beyonce, sing to me, mother. <laughs> We have, and you know, we we talked about it earlier. November, um, I'm gonna say November 16th, uh, will be two years that we've been in spaces together because that was the first um webinar we did, right? And then from that, we went into the podcast. Two years, um, and we have seen each other develop, go through personal, professional um things mm-hmm. and it's been consistent though right yeah um and i'm thinking i'm trying to think through all the many episodes that we've had in general um and to see us in this space to have presented at different conferences to get those uh types of remarks after a presentation people coming up to us and saying oh my gosh, y'all, y'all do the podcast. And we're like, what? <laughs> you know, it's, it's surreal yet timely. Yeah. Because who would have thought? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, and everywhere we submitted, the, we sub- there was not one proposal we submitted we didn't get in. Right. Everywhere. Yeah. And in, in different, differing spaces, um, just being able to engage with other folks. Um, I want to say one of my favorite spaces that we were in, um, was in Asala. Asala was great. Charleston. Charleston was, I'd never been to Charleston. Um, Charleston airport was beautiful, but like never been to Charleston. Mm -hmm. Um, the conference itself was amazing. Like I felt like out of the conferences that I've been to and it's limited still, but it was the one conference where I could take a, like a breath. Right. Like a collective breath. And yes, and, and maybe that was because the type of a conference that it was. Right. True. But like, it was amazing. And I and was like, if I can afford to go to this one again. <laughs> our, um, our fits were nice too. You know, we had the the, the African print um, skirts and the black oh, yeah. top. So we was on point, you know. Yes. We was right. You know, we was on point. And feel free to look at that video. It is yet still on our YouTube. Yep, it's still up there. Um, I 
I don't know if I have a, a favorite one. Um, you know, because we've been in Charleston um, for Sila. We we went to um, what is this place called? Portland. Yes, went to Ashford. That's Ash. Portland. Uh, we was in Nashville uh, for ACPA. Um, we're supposed to go to NASPA, but oh, yeah, we were supposed <laughs> to go to NASPA, then you know, COVID came, mm. uh, and that would have been Austin, uh, Texas. And so, we've, we've been around the world, so to speak. <laughs> uh, four black women in higher ed that came for women webinar, yeah, and said, let's continue the space. And here we are almost two years later. And all that has transpired, you know, in the field and us personally, you know, you're becoming Dr. V. Uh, God is good. You know, Dr. Lewis and Dr. Edwards is loading. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it is, for me, it's kind of like we're in college. <laughs> right. It's, it's the end of, the, you know, the sophomore year. <laughs> Uh, we just got two more years to make it and we, we, we know we made it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited for the space, um, the feedback that, that we receive. And I know we all have received feedback uh, individually and collectively. Uh, and how we just, we're open and honest about the topics that we have. We're unapologetic about it. Um, I, I would have to say one of the most moving um episodes to date for me would have been uh, the episode where we were talking about Black cultural centers. Mm-hmm. And that conversation was just, I think I cried a little <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in that conversation because it was so honest, so pure, and so real and authentic. And like you could not have listened to that and not felt something, right? Um, so, so that one was really special for me. Um, but we've, we've had some dynamic people. Um, I, I think one of the, the best things is that we have not had, not to my knowledge, had someone on twice, oh. which speaks to the number of educated, talented Black women that are out here. And there's still more. I think yeah. that's something, too, and that we had, we couldn't, we could only have so many you know, and there's there's more episodes to come, y'all. This is just our season finale, not a series finale. Right. <laughs> finale. Exactly. Um, that's also exciting, right? And 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 you know, we're really wanting to create space, continue to create space for Black women, whether that is through their research, whether that's through their truth, whether that's through the things that they're working on. Um, just to create like a space and leave it better than it was when we when when we came to it. Yeah, definitely. You know? um, and being in this virtual space kind of adds to that now. Mm-hmm. Um, because, we, like, I mean, from the jump, we wanted this space to not only be one where we can just talk transparent and authentically, but also a place of professional development. So um, we're definitely going to continue to tap into that professional development side. Um, so stick with us. Um, we, we're gonna make some things happen. We got some things up our, some tricks up our sleeves, so to speak. Um, but uh, you know, we, we do this with our guests in terms of what books we're reading, uh, what what music we're listening to, what does vulnerability mean to us? You know, 
who would black woman want to shout out uh, but I don't know if we've done it <laughs> I don't know if we've done it and if we, we have, have I don't remember when <laughs> it was uh, oh, I think maybe in the beginning uh, but I want us to take that time uh, to one talk about what books are we reading if we are uh, what music we're listening to and then let's let's give homage to a black woman um regardless of what industry that black woman is in so books who's reading books who gets to read books what'd you say who gets to read books right you know what here's the thing somebody told me when you get done with your doc you're not gonna want to read you go you have read so much you're not gonna want to uh it's gonna be an irritation no it wasn't like and maybe i and, and maybe sitting with a physical book is an issue but audiobooks are still yet yet and still blessing my life so uh i will i will go and say the first two one of them came from a recommendation from one of our guests a couple of months ago and i just got a chance to sit down with it is for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all to reality pedagogy and urban education. Um, it's the bomb, and I'm and I want to cite the person. It's Christopher. I think it's Emden. Um, and I'm teaching a class, and I'm gonna want to. I'm gonna use that as a framework for the ways that I'm teaching that class, and it's a diversity class, but specifically through K through twelve. So they about to get some stuff. Uh, <laughs> They, they don't know that they're about to get some stuff, but they're about to. Uh, then I'm also looking um, at and listening to, we want to do more than survive abolitionist teaching and the pursuit of educational freedom by, let me cite a sister, um, um, Dr. Bettina L. Love. It is yet the bomb. Um, and lastly, the one that I'm coming circling back to is Eloquent Rage by Dr. Brittany Cooper. Um, it is the bomb. It is a tried and true. I've listened to it before, but I wanted to bring it back um, to kind of really think about all the ways that um, that we as Black women can use our rage, you know, and, and channel that in different ways. And so I'm excited about that. The songs that I am listening to, I love Tasha Cobb's new song, new new um, um, at the Royal. Listen, that Tasha Cobb blesses my entire soul. Hmm. And her live album was and is the bomb. It just is the bomb. Like, uh, and it's crazy because I think she did, um, well, not crazy, started to use that ableist word, but I think she did like a live taping of it, which is also kind of the bomb. So feel free to listen to that. That is getting me, getting me all together right. Um, also, um, let's see what else. What's going on, Marvin Gaye? I, just, I keep hearing that. I keep playing it. I'm like, Lord, what is going on? Okay. Round it out with you. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I just, I literally just checked out Eloquent Rage from the library because I am supposed to be working on a dissertation, but, <laughs> but racism. How about that? Racism. About <laughs> racism. Um, but I'm still trying to read through. I'm, I told I told y'all about the um, 
Smart Brown Girls Book Club. Mm -hmm. So I haven't even got their reading Pleasure Activism, which I couldn't get to read, and um, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Mm -hmm. I have not been able to read those books because I'm supposed to be teaching a class. Um, I love it. Uh, so I right now I'm still trying to finish all about love. I did finish the Black Feminism and Qualitative Inquiry. That was good. That's an academic book um, written by Dr. Venus Evans. Venus Evans. Venus. Let me go get the book, y'all. While we on Illinois. this, is she in Illinois? <laughs> yes, she is. She's at yeah. Illinois State. That's my and so master's program. We had her talking, Venus Evans Winters. We had her to speak um, about the movie, the film Push Out. Have you not seen the film Push Out about the criminalization of black girls in education? Mm -hmm. She was in that. And so she told me about this book. And I was like, I need to read this book. And um, yeah. Yeah, I'm putting that in my car right now. My my books have been different (laughs) from what you all are are, are speaking to. (laughs) Oh, but wait. I'm trying to teach a class where I wanted them to read The Souls of Black Folks and Miseducation. It's hard to get students to read. It is. Yes, it it's is. hard. You better it stay apart. It is so hard. Yeah. I, so I just finished reading um, The Mastery of Love, which is by Don Miguel, Miguel Ruiz, I believe, um, who also wrote The Four Agreements. Um, and that book, so, you know, I'm more of a, I'm not really reading a lot of academic stuff, right? Um, so that book to me, one, the biggest concept from that book was learning how to bring happiness for yourself rather than depending on someone else to make you happy. Mm, I like it. Um, and so it was a quick read. I think I read it in like two days. Uh, the book that I'm currently reading because of the nature of my job is the five languages of appreciation in the workplace, empowering organizations by encouraging people by Gary Chapman and Paul White. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in my position, half of my job is staff development and employee engagement and looking at morale. And so I found that book. Um and then after that, my goal, uh, so our students, um, our student leaders um, this summer started reading a book, and I had them do a panel discussion with some of the colleagues about the book. And so the book that they read is called Presence, uh, Bringing Your Boldest Self to Your Biggest Challenges by Amy Cuddy. Um, so I'm hoping to start reading that as well because it was very interesting hearing them talk about um, the book and how it's impacted them as student leaders so I want to take the time to read that so mine are very different (laughs) uh, uh, from y'all's spaces Um, yeah I need I need to but you know what I will say this there is a song that I have been listening to on repeat and this is a song, it's it's not hers, but it's I Shall Wear a Crown. And I believe her name is, let me see, her name, because I, I have it. Her name is uh, Yolanda DeBerry. When I tell you I listen to that song like a million times a day, 
I listen to it so much. Um, and Encourage Yourself, that's uh, Donna Lawrence and the Tri-City Singers with, I think, uh, Sherry Moffat. Yes. That, that, that that, those songs, they have helped me because this has been a trying time. And so between music, I haven't, I haven't read as much as I want to. One thing I want to read during the break and really like you know, I really want to dive and get into some deep, deep Bible study, like deep Bible study, because I don't feel like um, I, f- I feel like when I was in quarantine that I was able to do more of that. But it's like the busyness picked up where it left off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have a book by Priscilla Shire. I believe oh. it's called Discerning, Discerning the Voice of God. Is that before, is that after fervent? Because I have fervent. I don't know. How about that? <laughs> so I think that's what I, I and, and I'm gonna find me a nice romance novel by uh, a black author because there are some great black, um, like Beverly Jenkins. Man, girl, I got some for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just gonna read a book that has nothing to do with nothing. Because I deserve it. And that's my business, as Tabitha Brown would say. Uh, <laughs> I love no, it. I forgot to say, I do enjoy a Corin Hawthorne, Hawthorne. I think she was on The Voice. Ooh. See, mm-hmm. her new, yeah, her new CD, I Am, is the bomb. I play it on the way to church. Because now we are back, but we are back outside parking lot praise at my church. And, you know, it's funny. I didn't know that I missed seeing people at the church until I saw the people at the church. And I was like, I still got my mask on. Six feet. I don't know you six feet. (laughs) But I appreciated that. But that Corinne, listen, what's the song that I play all the time? Um, Start from scratch. Listen, because it talks about how we, how often, you know, as as believers, we fall and how, um, like, and you're asking God, can I start from scratch? Can you just let me, can can you let me just start all over again and I just thank you for letting me start all over again and I was like Lord I just gotta come to you because to Dr. Ann's point um I need to be reading more I need to be spending time with him more and I try to do my devotional time at the very beginning of the day but I could go I could be going deeper in the word I could totally be going deeper um and I know that's what he's calling for us in this time I, um, so I've done a couple of, um, you know, on the Bible app, those plans. So I've done a couple of those plans. Um, and it's very, it's been very, uh, refreshing to start my day with God and and really start my day with God, right? Through the meditation, the plans, um, having real conversations with him, praying, um, it's just getting back to that, to that space of peace. Um, so now with music, mm-hmm. you know, I listen to just about anything, right? <laughs> so it just depends on my mood. So I don't have anything that I'm constantly listening to, but there's one song that I'll always listen to, um, at any given moment. Um, and that's Press My Way Through by Ooh. Neil, uh, by Neil Robertson, Rob- Robertson. Yeah. And the reason why I love that song, because it's truly based on um for me in my mind galatians 6 and 9 um and the the whole concept you know if 
if I don't faint, um, if I just keep holding on to God's unchanging hand, if I just keep pressing my way through despite or in spite of everything that's going on, I know God has something for me on the other side. And as long as I can hold on to that faith, um, and, you, and as you know, you don't need a lot, I know I'll make it. And because I know I make it, I can help someone else, right? Um, so I'm always talking about this whole concept of lifting uh, as I climb. And that song will break me down in the midst of a, I could just be having a good day, bad day. I listen to that song and I'm broken. <laughs> I'm on my knees, I'm praying, you know, it, it's one of those songs for me that just brings me back to center with God. Um, so that song is always heavy in rotation. Then of course, you know, I'm listening to <laughs> some August Alcina. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like he, he got a couple of tracks on his latest uh album that's okay um i don't even know who that is how uh, about that oh this person is a musician <laughs> i didn't know <laughs> that <laughs> that he just released an album not so long ago so he got a couple of tracks on that I'm always listening to Nipsey Hustle. That's that's always a staple for me. Um, I do a lot of meditation music too. So, yeah. I found a prayer app huh. that reminds that I can keep track of different prayers and I can put different prayers in the app. And, and I found it through doing um, one of those um, things on the Bible app because I realized, you know what, you know, I'm not going to, there's a few songs that I'm like, I need to listen to this song over and over again. Kier Sheard's album. Mm. It is bomb. That entire thing. I love that. But then I turn and then not, but, and then every now and again, a little, I need a little bit of tap in. And and just a little bit of blow the whistle, just a little bit of too short, just to kind of <laughs> come on, blow the whistle. <laughs> it's all about it, right? <laughs> a little bit of Lizzo, not a whole lot, just a little bit. A little bit of Missy, just <laughs> a little bit. God knows your heart. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> it's all good to me. Yeah, um, we human. We need, we need, we need a, we need a, and to listen to this, oh, I found a new podcast. Y'all know I love a good podcast, but there's one about the refer the cheating scandal in the NBA. So good. It is so good. I haven't heard that one. Me either. You have know what? The, have y'all heard the ra ratchet? Is it righteous and ratchet? ratchet? No. Righteous. Was podcast? Uh-huh. It's a podcast. It's Demetria. I need to look at that. Mm -hmm. It's good. She was on, remember that show, Bells of, oh, shoot. It was a show on uh, Bravo. She was one of those people on Bravo. Um, but they, it only lasted that show. Uh, it only lasted like a, some, like a season because one of the people uh, passed away. Um, oh, wow. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. My yeah, goodness. Righteous, righteous and ratchet. Mm -hmm. I may have to try to get that. You know what I really should do during our break? Write a dissertation. How about that? How about that? Because that, that's what it's all for, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. 
right? You know, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. We look. So when you, so when you, when you finish and you defend and you're a doctor, it's Doctor Edwards, Doctor E, Doctor A, Doctor A. Mm. We want. We need to start practicing, right? Yeah. <laughs> So that going on vacation. When I finish my doctorate, I'm gonna go somewhere by myself. Okay. And go to a spa mm -hmm. and eat uh, breakfast in bed every day mm -hmm. and just stare at the ceiling. But we wanna we wanna put some respect on your name with a right. K. <laughs> we wanna That's that. all I'm saying. It's some other I, I just I yeah, you know how fun. bad I just want to be so done. Yeah, mm, no, I get that. I, I just want to be so done. Like, I want to be so done to where I'm like, even if I don't make the graduation cutoff date, I just want to defend by December because I don't want to do this next semester. Right. I don't want to be. I don't want to be here. That's not how this. any of this works. <laughs> I don't want this. You know, I don't. I'm, I'm Yeah. I think there's a level of exhaustion and I know uh, my governor at least just re uh, my, my zone in the state is going into, I think another three weeks. Of I mean, the, huh? Keep going. You said it's three weeks of a, three weeks of what? Quarantine. Y'all are going to lockdown? Well, I believe all of our restaurants and spaces are closing again for another three weeks because um, in our air, in our zone of the state, we have been, uh, our rate has been at, I think, 8% for a few days straight. I don't know the exact metric, but yeah. We're in, we're in phase three as of yesterday, I think. I don't know. So well, we're in phase quarantine. My gosh. Oh, I don't hey, know I got, the, I got the podcast wrong. Her name is Ratchet and Respectable. Oh, Okay. Okay. Yes, Demetria Lucas is her name. I was like, "Ooh, let me, let me, let me put some spec on her name." Ratchet and respectable. I think it's interesting how we give these names to to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> this is very funny. I'm gonna uh, miss you guys during break, but I just want—I'm gonna miss seeing you. But I'm gonna talk to you every day, like we basically always do, anyway. <laughs> right. So you, we just needed to put that out there for the people. <laughs> the yeah, same thing. Real. We talk to each other. Uh, Sometimes yeah. I struggle with text messages, but you know. And I, then by the time we come back, Doctor K probably be on you what know, wrote fifteen more books. True. Check out her book on Amazon. Yes. Narrator. A full Amazon store. Yes. Only her merchandise. Come on. Gonna have merch too, y'all. Don't worry about that. And sneakers. And, um, gonna have some sneakers. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm ready to buy some new sneakers next week. Oh no! As soon as they drop, I'm gonna be in the virtual line ready. Uh, but yeah, this is the virtual line because <laughs> you can only buy them online. Well, I think these you can only buy online. I'm not sure, but I had to set my alarm and everything because they're gonna sell at 10 o'clock, 8 a.m. October the 10th. Um, my goal is to get them. So yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to the break and how we're going to just kind of break one, but then talk about season three. Uh, so we we coming back, you know. We ain't left. We still here, you know. I like it. So I guess let's close it out with just you know um, honoring and celebrating uh, a black woman in our life.
A black woman in our lives. Only one? That's what I was thinking. I got more than one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I celebrate. I celebrate my mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My mother has survived and thrived after having three strokes and four seizures. Her last seizure was in March. Mm-hmm. So I just want to celebrate her for her resilience, her resiliency, but then also never leaves me her faith and always still believing in God in spite of what has happened. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think, okay, so first I want to celebrate my grandmother who's 101 and whom I love, Annie Mae Edwards, shout out to her. Um, right now she's not feeling the greatest, um, but I have learned so much from my grandmother. She is the, she is just about the strongest person I know. And I shout out my auntie, um, Cookie. Her name is Cookie. Now, you know, if her name is Cookie, she and my auntie Cookie Davis, who I love her and who is uh, taking care of her mother and has for the past 50 plus years. And so I think uh, for me, those two women have been such like standards in my life um, that their their impact has been absolutely amazing. Okay, I got a couple more. One, my boss, because <laughs> Dr. Bernice Edgehill Walden, who like, I mean, is you know, it is very refreshing to report to somebody who gets it and who understands and who wants to support you, you know, and wants to help you to grow and develop. And I and I really appreciate her. And I have a budding young woman that I would like. She is getting there. And that is my niece, who is a freshman at Morgan State, but is virtually learning um, from my basement. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Um, Morgan, please open up in the spring. But... <laughs> I want to just say that, you know, I'm seeing her grow as into this, like, you know, I knew her when she was a little, little girl, you know, needing help to get dressed. And now all of a sudden, she act just like me. What is happening? (laughs) (laughs) And to see her grow up has been a joy, but to see her get into this young womanhood and enter into this phase. I am excited and I'm, I am excited for her. I'm excited for the world because once she is unleashed, mm. I believe what is going to come out of this young lady is going to be epic. And, and I want to celebrate her because, you know, she is in my family lineage and she is the next generation of the what we do tribe. Right. Um. So I'm, I'm gonna celebrate too. First, I, I want to celebrate um, a dear friend of mine who has has literally just came into my life. Um, hasn't even been a year yet, uh, but she has been the sole reason that I have started this whole journey of vulnerability. Um, she's really the reason why I brought that term, that concept to the podcast. And so I want to give voice to her name. 
uh, and that's Crystal Postel. Um, she is a phenomenal woman, um, and she is just a joy to be around. And if you ever meet her, it's just like her energy is just amazing, right? Um, and the way she supports uh, me is just uncanny at times, you know. Um, I couldn't have thought of a better person to be by my side during this time in 2020, right? So it is definitely God-driven. And the way we talk about God, the way we love on God, it's just beautiful. Um, and so I, I want to celebrate that Black woman. And the second uh, is a group of women that I want to celebrate. Because <laughs> you know we still in centennial year. Lord, oh, goodness. So I want to like, get it, get it, get it. So understanding that my sorority is diverse, I just want to pay homage to the Black women um, but also all the women in my sorority of Zeta, Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated on a hundred years. This is our centennial year and we could not have imagined <laughs> that the centennial year would have went the way it has gone. Uh, but our boule is coming up um, first weekend in October, it will be virtual, but it's still coming. And to all of those women, not just yeah. the black women, but all women that are part of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, I want to honor you uh, for a hundred years. Uh, the legacy of our founders have stood the test of time and they will continue um, to stand the test of times for another hundred years. And so I salute each and every one of you. Um, you're honored on this day and every day in my life. So big shout out to my sorors of Zeta, Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Make sure you pronounce your T's. <clears throat> you better pronounce. Let me just say this. <laughs> Zetas are yeah. some of the best accomplices that I have had in this work. I probably should shout out also my graduate assistant, Galen Rip. Listen, <laughs> she's an amazing, amazing buddy, student affairs accomplice. And she is also a member of Zeta Phi Beta sorority. And um, no, for real though, Centennial is a big year. Shout out and celebrate until you feel like stop celebrating. How about that? Yeah, I'll be also add, I feel like y'all just citing, you know, y'all saying, um, I would like to celebrate my sister. So, a Zeta. Um, she is my baby sister. She is living it and loving it. She's been a Zeta for about four years. Mm -hmm. Loves it and extremely active in her grad chapter. Mm hmm but I want to celebrate her for her passion and stepping into her passion. She is a um, social worker um, and she's studying for her exam. You're going to do it. We're going to speak life. It's going to be successful. Right. But I want to celebrate her for working in her passion and doing something and pursuing it with every part of her. Yeah. Um, and she's really praying and listening to God so that she's in alignment with what his purpose and passion is over her life. Um, so I wanted to celebrate her. Amazing. Well, y'all, those that are listening, those that have listened, 
this is the finale of season two. Uh, we thank you. Uh, thank you. This we couldn't have done this without the audience, without the guests, right? Um, so we we have to give honor to each and every one of you. Um, season two is in the books, y'all. Wow. I just wish everybody peace and love and light yeah. and more peace mm-hmm. and good sleep. Yeah. And love on yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't depend on yeah. You know, we love on our students and it's evident that we care, but I just pray that we prioritize us mm-hmm. and our and our um, wholeness. Yes. Yeah. So this is us um, checking out season two, Black Women Voices. I say see you in season three. This is Dr. K signing out. See you in season three and signing out. See you real soon, Dr. V.